Bethany Lutheran here in Warren, Oregon. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you follow us, you know normally I start with reading the gospel lesson to, for the day. However, this is week three of our summer series of looking at the gospel through the stained glass windows of our sanctuary. So today we are starting down the right side of the sanctuary and the first panel is a picture of a manger with cloth draped over it. As Christians, we recognize this panel is referring to the birth of Jesus. Mary and Joseph were traveling when Jesus was born to them. And as the town of Bethlehem was packed with travelers, they ended up staying with the animals and they used a cattle feed box that is a manger for the baby's bed. Traditionally, Christians make a big deal about the setting of Jesus' birth, about Jesus not having a crib for his bed. Yet as I was composing this sermon, I remembered that the record of the birth of Jesus is relegated to one verse, one sentence in the Gospel of Luke. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's it. I wondered perhaps if it was not unheard of that a newborn could end up with a manger for a bed. Think how many depression era babies slept in a dresser drawer. How many immigrant babies born in the early 1900s New York City tenements slept in a wooden crate? With a lot of poverty, maybe this wasn't that unusual. This scene is memorable though, because it is the birth of the future king of the universe in the humblest setting possible. However, as the rest of the scene shows us, a special star was created for this baby's birth because it was the birth of the Son of God, the God of all that is. The King of the heavens came down to mankind in the form of one of us. Matthew 2 verses 1, 2, 7, 9, and 10. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the day of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And that star led the world to the manger of the Savior. Notice that the star on our window is the Star of David, a six-pointed star, reminding us that Jesus was born in the lineage of King David, Israel's mightiest and most revered king. Lest we forget, this manger has a cross in it to remind us of this baby's predestination. 
He came to us with the intention of redeeming us from our sin-filled judgment. Jesus died a criminal's death on a cross that we might live eternally with the Heavenly Father. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 9 and 10. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died so that we, whether awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Now at the top of this panel, we have a flower. I cannot say with certainty, but I think this is meant to be the Rose of Sharon, which is a nickname for Jesus. Now actually nowhere in scripture is Jesus referred to as the Rose of Sharon. In the Old Testament book, Song of Songs, also known as Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1 says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. This is part of a courtship dialogue between King Solomon and his Shulamite bride. It symbolizes the mutual love of Christ and his church. The next panel displays a baptismal font. First off, we know of the baptism of Jesus by John, as recorded in Matthew 3, Mark 1, Luke 3, and John 1. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. From the small catechism we read, In baptism God forgives sin, delivers from death and the devil, and gives everlasting salvation to all who believe what he has promised. In Mark 16 verse 16, Jesus said, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The cross on the front of the font reminds us that through baptism, we are united with Christ. Romans 6 verses 3 through 5. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. A dove is pictured above the font with descending rays to remind us that just like at the baptism of Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit through the rite of baptism. As told to us in Mark 1, Matthew 3, Luke 3, John 1. At the top of the panel, we see a shell with water droplets. The scallop shell is a symbol of pilgrimage, 
the journey a Christian makes through life. Pastors and priests often use a scallop shell to scoop up the water to pour over the person being baptized. Baptism is the start of the person's life journey as a Christian. In the third panel on this side of the sanctuary is pictured a Bible, a pair of praying hands, and rays descending from above. <clears throat> Here we see an illustration of communication with God. The biblical definition of a prayer is a devout petition to God, a spiritual communication with God, as in supplication, thanksgiving, adoration, or confession. Luke 11, verses 2 through 4, Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. We speak to God in many ways. We make requests for ourselves or on behalf of others. We give God thanks for his tender care and the many blessings he bestows upon us. We lift up prayers of praise to express our love for God and to exclaim his greatness. And we pray to confess where we have gone astray and to seek forgiveness. But communication is a two-way process. God speaks to us and responds to us through the Bible, the Word of God. Here he speaks of his love for us. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God assures us that he hears our requests and pleas and will respond in the best way for us. 1 John 5 verses 14 and 15. This is the assurance we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. In his word, God offers to share his glory with us. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And God promises in 1 John 1 verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The descending rays remind us that all communication with God is initiated and covered by the Spirit of God. Ephesians 6 verse 18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
Lastly, at the top of this panel, we have the letters V, D, M, A. These letters are an acronym for Verbum Donani Manet in Eternum. This phrase means, the word of the Lord endures forever. A quote from 1 Peter 1 verse 25. And Peter was quoting from Isaiah 40 verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. The symbol of VDMA around the cross became the official motto and symbol of the Lutheran Reformation, even before Luther's rose that we saw last week. By 1522, Frederick the Wise, now he was the local ruler who had protected Martin Luther, Frederick the Wise was ordering VDMA to be sewn onto the right sleeve of the official clothing worn by all members of his court. We are living in a culture and time that is opposed to Christianity and its spread. People are basing their decisions on feelings instead of facts. Nevertheless, God's word is a constant. The word that stands forever was poured over your head at the baptismal font. The eternal gospel still baptizes, teaches, preaches, communes, and saves. That eternal gospel may have been slowed, but it cannot be stopped. It may have been damaged, but it cannot be destroyed. It may have been sabotaged, but it will always work salvation because the word of the Lord is inerrant. It is efficacious. It is eternal.